to Corona Connections Worldwide, the podcast where I catch up with my friends in different countries to see how the coronavirus pandemic has affected them. I am your host, Angela Callender. I am broadcasting per my Zoom background from Canal Street today, an empty Canal Street early in the pandemic near the Rubenstein's department store with some happy Mardi Gras signs hanging from it. Today we are going to Curacao, where I had the pleasure of meeting two really great people on Tinder when I visited there in December 2017. It was a really exciting and fun trip for me. It had been a year full of tumult and change. I moved, I went on two road trips, one of which ended in a car fire, I went through a breakup, I lived with my parents for a little bit, even as I turned 30 years old, Um, and at the end of the year, I realized that I had some vacation days saved up uh, because I worked remotely during my road trips, and I didn't want to squander them, and I'd never really taken an international trip on my own before and thought I would go somewhere warm where I could do some diving and the flights were cheap to Curacao. So off I went and it was fun and rewarding to travel alone, but I was also really lucky to have made some friends on uh, dating apps, which I had (laughs) never even been on before on account of the aforementioned breakup um, and the relationship that preceded it that kind of happened around the time that the dating apps were peaking. So that was just a funny and very positive (laughs) welcome to the the dating app world. It's not always gone so positively for me, don't worry. This seems like a good place to mention that there's not a lot of fact-checking that goes into this show. Um, I tell all of my guests that I'm not trying to give them a research project or homework or anything. I'm mostly trying to focus on their personal experiences. So sometimes they share facts or dates and I kind of just go along with it. I do sort of try to fact check myself. Um, I made some remarks about the Netherlands in this episode um, with it having some of the highest per capita death counts, which I think is something I saw one time on a source that I don't remember and it changes day by day. So maybe around the time that we recorded this, which was October 15th, that was what was happening. But Believe it or not, despite all of the false starts and use of the word like that you hear on my behalf through this podcast, I do cut out a lot of my own ramblings um, when I do the edits. And um, if I'm ever spouting some kind of spurious information, I try to just cut that out if I can't back it up somewhere. Um, of course, we are on the social media platforms at Corona Connects Pod and on Twitter at Rona Connects Pod. So if you catch me or any of my guests saying something that you think is wrong, feel free to bring it to my attention in the social media universe. If you have any questions, if uh, 
there was something that I should have asked that I didn't, I would love to pop in with these people again and see um, if they can answer any of your questions if you have them. So yeah, find us on the social meds, um, engage if you feel so inclined, and please do rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or whatever platform you are listening on. All right, here we go. Let me introduce the two of you. Um, I met Maria and Kurt both on Tinder in Curacao almost three years ago. Um, Maria was actually the first person I'd ever met off Tinder, so that was fun. She gave me a good tour of the downtown area of Curacao. And then because this is- my first two. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then the very, th this is how, um, this is my game. But the very next person I met was Kurt and I brought him to your DJ set. That was a nice uh, coordination. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and actually, Maria, you, there was somebody I was supposed to have met um, a few days before. I probably told one or both of you the story because it was pretty funny. I was, it was maybe my first night in town. And he invited me some to some dancing event, and I was like, "Okay, like seems completely out of my comfort zone, but uh, <laughs> sure, I'm brave. I'm out here. I'm doing it." And I went, and on the invite, it had said something like, "No, no slippers," um, but no the slippers. only the only shoes that I had were like flip flops, so I wore them, and they didn't let me in the event. In fact, like they, yeah. I paid. I went in the event. I was like trying to like look for this dude, and they actually approached me and told me I had to leave <laughs> because. <laughs> I was wearing, I was wearing yeah. the wrong shoes, but uh, I think I got my ten guilders back. And uh, uh, and the guy, the guy messaged me on Tinder that he like saw me leaving. It was like sort of a Cinderella type event, but I never actually met him. Oh, so. <laughs> Whoa. That's definitely one for the storybooks for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and now um, we've stuff. remained friends through Instagram and you have both so generously agreed to be on my podcast and tell me a little bit about your coronavirus experiences, which I imagine will be a little different. This will be the first time I've interviewed anyone in an island country. So I think just you're, uh, you're already a little bit naturally quarantined. Um, and so I'm sure that affected some of your, your roles, but um before we get into that do one or both of you want to give me um a rundown like curacao is an interesting country um just uh, like a lot of the caribbean it has ties to the netherlands still but different from like guadeloupe which is still technically part of france like just do one of you um kurt you were on the call first if you want to jump in first just explain like how curacao runs in your relationship with the netherlands well um we we're basically um, we have the European passport of the Netherlands, but we're not considered like part of the Netherlands, like France and Guadeloupe. Um, so it, it's basically um, we, we call it autonome. I don't know how you uh, an autonomous say that in region. Autonomous, probably. yeah. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much it when it comes mm -hmm. to Curacao and Netherlands right now. And your your money is is still the gilder, like a old form of of the Dutch money. You never changed over to the euro or anything, right? No, no. Um, I I heard that there was talks about it recently about um, possibly becoming part of the European Union itself, okay. and with the possibility of getting the euro, but you know nothing concrete yet. So. Got it. And then culturally, Dutch is still pretty widely spoken on the island. Is that right? Or well, not so widely? Ma ma mainly Papiamento. 
maybe yeah, yeah and that's, that was going to be the yeah. next thing that i got to so you like then papiamento is is that spoken anywhere else or is that pretty unique to curacao the language uh definitely aruba and bonaire for sure okay got it so aruba bonaire and curacao were were all three dutch islands historically and and you share that common um yeah. papiamento language yeah okay very good cool. aruba writes it a bit differently Okay. And so both of you growing up in Curacao, did you grow up in Papamento was your first language? Yeah, for me, for sure. And for you too, Maria? Actually, a multi-language. It was Papamento and English and Dutch and Spanish all at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. I, like, I, I love that about, about Caribbean nations, that there's just so many uh, cultural influences and... and and languages that that you wind up speaking. Um, okay, so cool. I, I just think that's a bit of interesting cultural background, and I don't think a lot of Americans know a ton about Curacao. Probably not more than knowing about the liquor Blue Curacao, um, which in fact did a, the triple sec Curacao started being made there. I got to tour the factory when I was visiting, yeah. um, and it comes in all sorts of colors, but for whatever reason, blue is the most popular one in the United States and one of the only ones that's marketed. Uh, do they import the other ones? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think that I've ever seen one. Maybe there's some, because there's no difference in flavor, right? Like, I think it's all, like... No, there is. Is there? Oh. Yeah, there, we have uh, coffee, chocolate. Oh, uh, sure, this, sure. But, like, the, yeah. the actual, like, the clear one and the blue one, I don't know if they taste different, right? I thought, uh, I, I was under the impression the blue was just, like, for gimmicks. But you, I'm, yeah. I'm probably misremembering. I, I would trust your judgment more than mine. Although you don't drink, so maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, 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 I definitely know about it, but no, I don't drink anymore. I used to, but I'm not anymore. Um, all right. And then, Maria, I know that you are a DJ slash barista. Um, and how have those industries been affected by the lockdown? Like, are you, like here, I would say, at least in New Orleans, like DJs aren't playing gigs. Like we don't have that kind of, bars are really newly reopening, um, but usually for takeout drinks and usually for very limited uh, uh, like admission, I guess you could say. Um, so the music scene has been like really negatively impacted here. And so are you, are you still able to do any DJing? Or are you mostly um, doing your coffee thing? Yeah, only the coffee thing. Actually, um, during we had a lockdown and everything was closed. So we had like two or three months, I think it was two, that we didn't do anything, that I couldn't do anything actually in my industry. And... Like DJing is nothing right now, and after the lockdown, I got got called by this cafe to start a new job. Okay. So I started there, and I'm working six days a week there right now. Okay. After the lockdown. So, um, your the cafe you had been were you still at Bagels or were you at a different one no, before no, lockdown? No, no, <laughs> I stopped at Bagels like, like, uh, almost two years I think now. Okay. And, um, oh, hello. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. uh, almost two years, I said. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Oh, friends. Oh. Like, laying around me. <laughs> yeah. But so you had been working at a different so, cafe before the 
Yeah, actually, I was like in between looking for a new job when the lockdown happened. So I was like just working temporary at this um, restaurant at night. And then it happened. And then I just stayed home for like almost three months and waiting for it to pass over. Yeah. Um, Do they have this is a question I keep forgetting to ask um, in my other episodes, but I've been interested in the type of like unemployment type of benefits that they offered in different places um, when people weren't allowed to work. Um, Like, did the government have unemployment funds for people in your situation who were who are out of work? Yes. Well, actually, they did have, but um, uh, it wasn't dependable. So it wasn't happening very fast. So uh, luckily, I have like family members that helped out Mm -hmm. um, with, uh, uh, yeah, rent money and grocery money and stuff like that. And um, after, I think after two months, I got like a thousand guilders from the government. But I only got it, I only accepted it once because after that I got a job and then I didn't need to get any more help but they were like calling and um, um investigating if you still need help and stuff like that so that was really nice though okay. at the end of the day and and who um was the thousand guilders made available to um like did you have to pr- like prove that you had lost a job or yeah. could anybody really sign you, up you for should it? have like a letter from your work okay and I had this, so I was working part-time because I was in between jobs. And the first ones that they, um, let's say they don't have jobs for us are the part-timers. Mm-hmm. So only the full, full-timers that have a contract will get paid and um, probably keep working because they would be doing deliveries at the restaurants. It depends how creative they have been in all the kinds of the, um, type of restaurants there is. But mm-hmm. at the one that I was at the moment, while the lockdown happened, they had deliveries. But yeah, they only had like one or two people working so they can keep the cost low. And they send out letters for everybody. So you can give the government your letter and get some help from the government. Okay. Um, and... And you said you only accepted the money one time, but like, what did it happen on two month cycles or something that like at the end of two months, they would offer another thousand guilders or, or like how often could you? They, um, you should just tell them like how many times you were out of work and they would be like, um, okay. And you couldn't pay your bills and stuff like that. If you can prove that and you can get help from them. And you also could get like um, how you got coupons, mm. food coupons. Okay. So you can go to the grocery store and mm-hmm. buy groceries. But I didn't apply for that one. I only applied for for the money so I could pay rent. Right. That was my main concern for those months. Was that just you being, um, I, I don't know, like a good citizen and not wanting to take advantage of the system or, or it, like you felt that you could afford your groceries otherwise and you had help or, or were there things that barred you from applying for the food stamps? Well, it felt like you had to do a lot for it okay. and I didn't need so much help. So I was like, no, I'm, if, it's, uh, if I can still manage myself, why would I go through all that to get something that I can manage, you know, maybe somebody else can use it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and what about you, Kurt? Were you able to work throughout the time or did you spend some time without a job as well? 
I can't remember um, what, what work you did, so that's why I couldn't oh. jump right into your, <laughs> into your industry talk <laughs> the same way. <laughs> I, I definitely do photography part-time, but uh, my full-time job is uh, I'm a security supervisor at the local Renaissance. And with us... A Renaissance was, Hotel? Yeah. Okay. And with us, it, it was quite a blessing because right before the whole Corona thing happened, um, we were owned because we were, we're like a franchisee. We were owned by a company called Metacorp. And we were bought over by a U.S. company, uh, uh, Wind Creek Hospitality. Uh, they're located in Alabama. Okay. And uh, they bought us over. And their whole principle is like taking care of your employees. And when the corona hit, the first uh, employees that were sent home with pay were the casino employees. They did cut ties with every contractor. Um, and then they were gradually like looking at the situation and managing their costs accordingly and uh, the safety of the employees. So they're like, okay, we, we don't need as much um, casino workers right now because people can't leave to go to the casino because of the lockdown. So casino people uh, stay home. They sent um, everyone from management home, uh, then followed housekeeping. And at one point, it was just the security staff for the whole hotel. And we that, that, had, the security staff were the only ones who were kept on? Yes. Okay. And uh, we actually had to wear different caps at that point. We were housekeeping. Uh, we had to like cook our own. We had to cook our own food. Uh, we had to uh, do maintenance around the hotel. So every single section that other departments had to do, we kind of took over. Uh, but we were luckily uh, paid our full salary throughout the whole time. And they did cut out the bonuses, but when things reopened and things started to move along in the U.S., they actually uh, came back and paid us the bonus that we lost uh, during quarantine. Wow, it sounds like you're really well taken care of. That's yes, that's yes, good to hear. Um, did the hotel stay open then? Like, what, what were the conditions of the lockdown? I guess would be a good question to ask. Um, Basically, the, the hotel didn't stay open. We had a couple of guests that were um, basically uh, preparing to arrange their return to their country. So the front desk staff stayed till they all left. And when we had no guests left, um, the security was just there for the basically the safety and security of the property. And that was about it. Um, got it. And are you able to remember back to when um, this lockdown was put in place? Like I know for it was it was March 16th in, in New Orleans was like when everything just like hit really quickly. A case had finally been found in Louisiana um, nearby. And yeah, that's when it was the stay at home order was put in place. Um, and a, a lot of non-essential businesses closed right at the midpoint of March. Yeah, it, it was basically um, almost uh, the end of March, I think, that they went into full lockdown because at first they had a, a curfew. Um, they had a system in, in play of 
uh, don't have more than three people in, in one group. Um, but I would say near the end of March, uh, it was probably when there was a full lockdown. And you said that lasted two months. So, so basically till the end of May. Yeah, roughly. I, I think we, we still kind of, uh, felt the effects of it, of course, like past that. But mm -hmm. uh, I think when they reopened, um, the restaurants were probably uh, one of the first businesses that were allowed to open again, but with just deliveries. Like everything was delivery or takeout. There was no um, sitting at a restaurant and eating. Mm -hmm. And when you were in the, the strictest part of your lockdown, um, and you mentioned even that a curfew preceded the lockdown, um, was it very strictly enforced? Like if people were out walking around on the streets or, I don't know, on the beaches or, or anything, um, were, were there like cops out that were giving people fines or, or even worse? Or uh, was it kind of left up to people to abide by it on their own terms? Well, there were definitely, uh, you felt uh, a presence of police. They definitely policed uh, the lockdown. Uh, if you were uh, caught um, out, uh, you definitely got a hefty fine. Um, there, But they did have later on a system of, uh, based on your license plate, you were allowed to um, go out on certain days for, you know, essential stuff. But um, the strictest part of the lockdown, um, only if you had a uh, letter from the government that you had to work, like uh, the whole security staff received a letter that uh, showed that they had to uh, come to work. And we had to also provide our schedule. So it's not like just because we had the letter, we can go wherever we wanted. Uh, if the day that we were out, it, it's not scheduled that we're supposed to work, we can get a fine as well. So everything was very strictly enforced there. And was that like when you were out going to work, like did you find yourself stopped and having to show these documents? Yes, uh, I was stopped uh, twice, uh, one at night and one in the midday. Um, but as soon as they saw the letter, they took a quick look at my schedule and, you know, they said, okay, go on. Got it. It wasn't any hassle there. That's good. And and so Maria, for the two months that you didn't have a job and like didn't have those provisions to, to leave the house, like what were you basically just in, in the house? Did you have like yeah. ways that you could escape? And are you living with friends or with family at this point? No, I, I was living alone. Okay. And in the, uh, actually in the city, like right, um, I, moved, I mean, the last time that it was here, I was in Pitamaya, right? Mm -hmm. So I was living in Scarlo, like right next to Bagels. Okay. I, I kind of remember the geography a little bit of that. Um. Yeah. So I just stayed inside and just like Kurt said, we had like days that you can, you were allowed to go out and we had swimming days also. Um, that was the, one of the best parts, like you could go swimming. <laughs> I bet. Or, like, <laughs> I wish yeah. I could have gone swimming. <laughs> <laughs> or you can go for a walk or um, like do some sports on the streets. Um, but uh, it was, it was, I, I can't lie. I, I had a, a great time. I had like time to like look inwards, you know? No, and absolutely. Still, yeah. And sit still for a while. And uh, just figure things out for yourself. Yeah. No. I um. 
the, the silver linings have come up a time or two. Um, on the, somebody in Spain on my last episode was saying that like he thinks he thinks it's cool how people have gotten really creative, um, both with like let's make masks and make really cool looking masks or, or something like that, or just being creative with ways to use their time. And, you know, I, th I think there are absolutely benefits that come through it. I, I know I certainly got to catch up on a lot of personal projects um, because yeah. I also, so the, the way it worked for me um, is that I, yeah, I was doing my freelance photography and also working on a TV show that I had just started working as a stand-in on um, two weeks before lockdown started and I was really loving it um, and then uh, so like the Friday before lockdown officially started they gave us the notification that we were um, postponing production for quote unquote three weeks which everybody kind of knew it wasn't going to be three weeks um, and then also uber driving which seemed just not recommendable at that point. So um, each the way unemployment works here is that each state offers its own unemployment benefits, and Louisiana is known to have a pretty bad unemployment program. So under Louisiana's unemployment, I only qualified for $187 a week, mm. um, which is, I, I don't know what the conversion rate for, for that would be, but it, it's, you know, not, I couldn't have paid rent on, on that amount or, or anything. But, okay, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, and the cost of living just is not right for that. So the government, the federal government, approved the $600 uh, increase to that amount everywhere. So now I was making $787 a week um, before taxes, and I, I had taxes taken out of it. But, like, in Massachusetts, for instance, people could make regularly, like, $600 a week, and they were also getting the $600 benefit. So people in other states were actually, like, doing great. I was making... <laughs> I thought what I was making was honestly about fair. Like, that's about what I would be hoping to make um, with my collective of, of things. Um, but there were definitely sort of unfair parts of it because you started, like, the minimum wage is so low here that people who were considered, quote, unquote, essential were going in to work their supermarket jobs. You know, being in a, a place, it was before they had the plexiglass dividers or anything, they're being in, you know, one of the most dangerous places where they're interacting with the most people and they're making considerably less than $700 a week. So there, there started to be this sort of understandable bad blood on the part of essential workers who are like, yo, you're calling us essential and people are being paid way more to sit home. Like, what are, yeah. what are you doing? So I understood that attitude a lot. Um, and, you know, it happened the way that it happened. They were just trying to pass the package quickly. It's like the only thing our government has been able to agree on in like 10 years, probably, that both sides were like, okay, $600, okay, $600, have it. But then that ran out at the end of July, and um, the government has not been able to come to an agreement um, for the new benefits. There was a lesser package that the president executive ordered into action that wasn't really how that was supposed to happen. Um, and I just, after the, the big package ran out at the end of July, that's when I had gone back to Uber driving, and I I didn't bother, kind of like Maria was saying, like, well, the money that I was making at that point wouldn't have been quite enough. And I just figured at this point, like, I have my own way of, of getting by at this point, And I'd rather just, like, you know, be out and, and doing things a little bit. 
Um, and Uber driving became sort of interesting. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't making a podcast, but I was still like mm. picking people's brains about their experiences just around here because it is such a, a unique time that we're living through. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, oh, I have a question. Um, you said that they let you go out based on, you said your, your license plate? Yes. So mm -hmm. what about people who didn't drive? Mm. Well, I guess that the people that did not drive, um, they're the ones that I know of. Usually they would uh, ask for help from someone that did have um, a car or mm -hmm. were, was allowed to go out that day. I noticed that they did that. Um, and I think there was, uh, uh, you know, the people that work with uh, in healthcare that taking care of the elderly, they were allowed to like pretty much go every day uh, based on the people that they were taking care of. Uh, but yeah, most people that I know of that did not drive, they would usually ask a, a friend or a family that was out was able to go out that day to do grocery for them. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so I was thinking it was just maybe like a designation, like you, you know that your license plate ends in an odd number, so you're allowed out that day. So so that was specifically about going out in your car, but like what if you wanted to like do one of these swimming days or whatever, like how was that regulated and how are they like determining who was allowed to go out and, and go swimming on any given day? Um, I, that was... Well, uh, on Sunday, I believe, like Sunday was uh, the specific day that people were allowed to go exercise and swimming when, when the lockdown was pretty much at its, its peak. Or actually, if you had like, it was only um, the letters from the license plate. So if you had like um, your day um, to go out, you could also go swimming eventually. Okay. So if in, in, the, in the beginning, the beaches, everything was closed. So eventually when they put the license plate coordination, they started putting also days that you can like, um, you can go swimming on those days that your license plate is allowed to go out. Got it. And then how widely spread was the virus ever there? Like, did you have big outbreaks or did you do a pretty good job of containing it from, from the onset? We have a bigger outbreak now <laughs> than before. Then in the lockdown, the second yeah. wave is bigger. Yeah, it, it was basically, um, I think I told you about it. Uh, I, of course, I was in Europe at the time, but um, Curacao pretty much had it under control at one point. And then uh, a couple of people went uh, to Aruba, went to Miami, came back. Um, and you said they went on their yachts, right? They were, yeah, they were just kind of like yacht to Aruba. Yeah. And <laughs> when they came back, they organized a, a children's party. And, you know, some of the kids got infected. Kids went to school, um, infected oh, other it's kids. It's really like that, though. Yeah. I heard about it. I don't know <laughs> yeah. it was real, a real story. Uh, yeah. It, it, it started with uh, the kids to the teacher, other kids. Other kids went home got uh, infected, so it was pretty much that. Like so one one group of people just decided to go and get the virus and bring it back to Curacao. Uh, 
Did they wow. trace it? Do they know whether they traced it to Aruba or Miami, or, or does it not really matter? No, no. <laughs> At that point, it does. I don't think <laughs> it doesn't matter which Corona they they brought over. They definitely uh, did not go and check if it was specifically Aruba. Well, the the rumor that I got from my friend in El Salvador was that the El Salvador um, president was not in El Salvador through this whole lockdown. He was in Miami himself, and that they, they had a film <laughs> crew that like set up a room that looked just like his room. So when he did his press briefings and stuff. <laughs> so, so Miami wow. keeps coming Miami keeps coming back up in these stories. Um, do you do you happen to know any numbers in terms of like deaths either before the, the latest spike or or after or well n- number of deaths? Mm-hmm. Uh, well I, I can't really say it's it's a good news, but from what you've seen around the world uh, for the longest time, we only had one death. And I think I saw in the newspaper today that a doctor from Bonaire that came to Curacao for treatment passed away from Corona. I think that would be only uh, the second uh, person. That, well, it doesn't count then if it came yeah. from Bonaire. Yeah. <laughs> <Do you think? laughs> I was discussing this with my mom today. We were saying, yeah, but does it count or does it doesn't count? Because he got it in Bonaire, right? Mm-hmm. And then he yeah. came here for treatment and he died here. So is that is it common that Curacao is considered to have better health care than in Bonaire? Like is there are, do you have are you known to have good hospitals and good health care? I think it's uh, we, we just uh, got a new hospital um, and I think they uh, stocked it with uh, new equipments and uh, instruments. So I think uh, between Aruba and Bonaire, Curacao is currently the one with the better hospital. Um, but the interesting thing is like the very first cases in Curacao, um, none of them were locals. They were all like tourists. Um, so I, I, that's why I threw Bonaire in there because you know, they, they, they counted those as well. <laughs> is, it the, is it the thing wow. um, where there's like, there's bound to be a sort of friendly rivalry between like Curacao and Bonaire and Aruba just because of your Always. shared history or, or is it not that friendly? Like, are they, are they, are they enemies of yours? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say enemy is a, no. uh, it's, let, let me South just say it like this: friendly and, sister island. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think it's it's not like serious, but we tend to like joke with each other a little bit. Yeah, like brother <laughs> and sisters. Yeah. yeah, no, that's it's sweet. I I like the the idea of that. Um, got it. So that well, that's really interesting then. So um, despite what sounds like maybe a little outbreak of mostly tourists at the beginning, there was this one death and now even with what sounds like a more considerable spike you still only have one other death that may or may not even count as a curacao death (laughs) so that i mean it sounds like pretty good management but also like um a situation where people probably will start to take it or maybe already have started taking it less seriously because they're like no one is dying from this here um and did that cause any was there a backlash against the lockdown at first? Were people like, this is insane, like it's not even bad here, nobody's dying? Or were people pretty compliant with, with the rules, even if it made for some hardships for them? Well, I would say the majority uh, was very compliant. I think the people that um, were the ones that were feeling the need to get out of uh, 
the quarantine the most, of course, was uh, the business owners. And uh, interestingly, the, the politicians as well, like they, some of them kind of felt like the need that, yeah, we, we, our economy is dying, so we need to do something. Uh, but other than that, there wasn't really a whole backlash against the quarantine. Got it. Because um, in addition to tourism, what are your big industries there? I know you've got the refineries um, for oil and gas. Uh, but like what else is, is your industry? Because I, th- I think it makes for an interesting dilemma. It's, it's a dilemma here, too, because we're such a tourism-fueled economy that... Um, like you can, I don't know, it seemed like you had a pretty safe, like Curacao ecosystem. You probably like squashed the virus pretty quickly because again, you are kind of always in quarantine. You live on an island, but open yourself, opening yourself up to outsiders is then when you put yourself at risk again. So it seems like a, a very fine line for a country like yours to have to walk. And, and what are the rules around tourism now? Like, are people allowed to come in or I'm sure very strictly regulated? Yeah, um, definitely strictly regulated. Uh, for Europe, I think they are opening uh, the borders for three U.S. states. I, I, I think New York, um, and I can't remember the other two. But they're, they're definitely letting uh, three U.S. states uh, come in. I didn't realize that other countries would be like that specific, like either I figured they would either like let yeah. in Americans or not. Um, but I guess it makes sense. Although New York was such a, a bad spot. Yeah. Um, it seems like an interesting one to let in, but it is where so much of the business is. Um, I think, I, I don't know if it's like, uh, because it had to do with, uh, if we're, if we're traveling from Curacao to the States, it's usually either you're landing in Miami or I think if you're traveling with JetBlue, you go to New York. I think it's pretty much based on where the mm-hmm. airlines are going. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's why New York's yeah. in there. Okay, that, ma- that does make sense. Um, and then as far as people traveling from other countries, like when the when the people left on their boat for Bonaire in, in Miami, is that kind of harder to regulate anyway like do you think maybe even under quarantine where more people maybe scooting off to other islands without really being monitored because it, it does seem like that would be a little harder to control and well I, I think after like that uh incident they definitely have uh the coast guards that probably definitely gonna look more into it mm. And you mentioned um, school. Are kids, as far as you know, have kids been back in regular school or did they get the option to do a virtual school? Um, Currently, they're just uh, regular school. So, uh, yeah, kids they, are put them, they put them in groups right now. Hmm. So, you have like divided class classrooms. Okay. So, they don't have like a lot of kids in the, in the rooms. Normally you have like 30 kids in one room and now you have like 15 or something. That's what I heard from my sister. Okay, got it. Does your sister have kids or is she a teacher? No, she's a teacher. Okay. (laughs) Um, How how does she- Oh, she does have kids though. Yeah, she has a (laughs) a daughter. (laughs) So my niece goes to school too. (laughs) Um, And how how does your sister feel? Like as a teacher, does she feel comfortable going? Does she think it's an effective system and and 
Um, she well, feels well enough protected. I, yeah, I think she was feeling fine until a few, like last week, um, they had like one, one child at my niece's school that was infected and still and kept com- coming to school. And so she was a very concerned parent then. And uh, then she didn't want my niece to go to school then, obviously, mm-hmm. because um, the, they weren't quarantining this this um, this person. And it was it was an odd story. I was like, okay, so this person is infected and still co- keeps coming to school. It's very, very strange. Yeah, but would- she just kept my niece at home right. just to be safe. Right. Yeah, you would think that, well, the school, for one, would really want to not allow that to happen. And then... Exactly. Huh, that is interesting. Kurt, I did want to hear a little bit about your um, travels. Um, so you, you, as you mentioned a minute ago, you went to Europe. How long were you traveling? And did you... Had you already had the trip planned? And did you reconsider or have to <laughs> postpone or anything? Like, how did that trip come together? And the the trip was planned in May, uh, actually, and it got moved uh, from May all the way to the third of August. Okay. So I wait. Sorry, you had planned it. You had planned it in advance to go in May, and then you had no, to delay it. Or you planned? I, I was supposed to fly in May. Right. But. Uh, they closed off the airport. We were yeah. not allowed to travel, so it, it kept moving back, moving back, moving back. And then I finally got uh, a date in August. Okay. Were, were you reconsidering? Like, were you, was there a part of you that was like, is it even worth traveling right now? Or had you, like, heard enough good feedback from the places that you figured it would be okay? You know, I... Mostly my friends were the ones that were like, are you sure you want to go there? <laughs> or are you sure, you know, that they have a lot of Corona cases over there? And, but me, you know, I, I didn't really let it affect me. I'm like, you know, if, if uh, the company I work for, they, they trained us in, in advance on how to deal. And I'm like, okay, if, if I just just follow my procedures, if I you know, keep my hands away from my eyes and my mouth and, you know, just be mindful because I think when you're on vacation, uh, even before Corona, you tend to have this feeling of like, oh, you know, I'm on vacation. You kind of let your guard down a little bit. Yeah. So I I definitely, you know, kept my guard up. Um, and the good thing was that when I got there, um, the rules they had in place kind of kept reminding you to keep your guard up because I, I landed in Amsterdam and, you know, went from Amsterdam to Brussels at one point, traveled through France and hit Spain and then came back to uh, Brussels. And were you but traveling I, I def- by train while you were there or are you flying or how were you getting around? Um, when I got there, we, we traveled uh, by train at one point, and but mainly by car, just a uh, road oh. trip. Okay. Um, but it, it was interesting to see how the different countries handle things similarly or, or different. And I, I would I would say that uh, between Belgium, France, and Spain, they kind of handled things similarly. Uh, Netherlands was kind of different from them. In what way? Uh, for example, um, 
in the Netherlands, uh, they they say you're only allowed, like you have to wear a face mask either on public transport or when you go to a supermarket. You know, if you're sitting at a cafe, if you're um, like just walking around in the streets, they don't wear face masks. Um, but in uh, Belgium and France and Spain, it's as soon as you leave your your house or your apartment, you need to have your face mask on at, at all times, whether it be public transport. The only time you are allowed to remove it is if you're sitting at a bar or eating at a restaurant, and that's it. But as soon as you leave that area, you need to have your face mask on. Uh, their police was all over it. Like, they had a lot, a lot of uh, authorities. And you said in Belgium and France and Spain, that was your experience? Yes. Okay, that's interesting because the Spanish guys I talked to last week um, were, were saying that, yes, in Spain it was pretty strict, but one of them had traveled to the south of France, so maybe it was just a, a different region. And he was saying he was surprised by how lax it seemed in France. He was like, nobody was wearing masks. It was crazy. <laughs> um, so it could have been that he was there at a different time or maybe just in whatever region he was in. It was a, a little bit different. Um, or he just, he likes to rag on France a lot. So maybe. And then did, were you able to go there? Like, did your, um, your Curacao citizenship, did that give you like any like special access to Europe or was America's just like cut off from a lot of places. Yeah. So like when I found out that you were traveling at all, I was like, whoa, that's crazy. Like someone's yeah. in Europe. That's I didn't know people could go there anymore. Yeah, but like, um, it, It's kind of like, um, we are considered Dutch, mm -hmm. right? So we do have a European passport. So it's it's pretty much kind of the same uh, as someone from the Netherlands just traveling to uh, Belgium or, or Spain. So I, I didn't have much issues with that. Um, the only thing uh, I had to do, um, and this was specifically for Belgium, is if I was staying in Belgium for more than a week, I had to uh, fill out a form of where I'm staying, you know, how long I'm planning on staying in Belgium, just so their government would know, you know, that I'm there and that if any case, who they need to contact in regards to me and my travels. Got it. And then when you, you had mentioned when you came back to Curacao, then you had a, a quarantine that you had to subject yourself to when you were back home. Is that right? Yes. Uh, it, it was kind of interesting because uh, when I, I came back, um, uh, we have like uh, the SVB, Bay, which is, they handle with our, our, our health care, especially at that uh, the Renaissance. We're insured by the SVB. And as we basis, uh, that I didn't have to go to quarantine. But when I checked with uh, HR, HR said that on the government's page, um, it says that I do have to go to quarantine and they're focused on what the government says. So I had to go to a 14-day quarantine. Uh, that was without pay, uh, which I was, you know, fine with. But, but you, so you had taken a paid vacation, I'm guessing you used vacation days or, or was the whole thing unpaid? No, um, uh, it was a paid vacation, uh, but I extended it with 
you know, some Te um, technically had yeah. to, <laughs> that's yeah. kind of interesting. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're okay with it. And I, I yeah. can see it being a, a little bit of HR gray area for sure. Like do we cover <laughs> the quarantine or not? Um, okay. But then, but when you went to Amsterdam, there wasn't any quarantine on, on their end. Uh, no, when, when I got there, um, I, I, I did hear that after they, uh, started, uh, a small little lockdown against, uh, curfew. Mm -hmm. But, um, when I was there, I was kind of surprised because I was, uh, I've been in Belgium for more than a month and I've experienced how they handle it. So uh, to me, I'm, I'm walking down the streets with my face mask and I'm looking at everyone just walking and talking together in, in big groups and all of that. And then I see a, a train pass by or a tram uh, with people with face masks. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't get it. But apparently, yeah, that, that's the rule they had. Yeah, because in the Netherlands, I was surprised to see has one of the worst records right now in terms of uh, like deaths per capita or something, I think. Um, but honestly, I think um, with them, there was, there was a lot of, I think they didn't take it as seriously at first because uh, I heard from friends there, uh, definitely heard from my girlfriend in Belgium that there were a lot of parties, like people with uh the government would say, okay, we're going to quarantine and people would have like quarantine parties that has to be broken up. And you know. Oh, I didn't understand that they were having quarantine parties. <laughs> so, yeah, the, what? It, it was like an interesting thing because uh, with them, they announced, I believe they announced that you don't have to go to work. Everyone's going to go into quarantine. And the way uh, they took it was like, we don't have work. Let's have a quarantine party, you know, let's just go and, and have a party somewhere. And uh, the interesting thing is uh, it, it happened in Belgium as well. And uh, a Belgian doctor said that, trust me, after 14 days, we will see a spike in Corona cases. And that's exactly what happened. Most of the people that were at that party uh, had to be admitted to the hospital so it, it was like fun while it lasted and then, you know. Not very fun. <laughs> yeah, not very fun at all. Today in Holland, they are closing all, all the restaurants for like four weeks again. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that's, uh, yeah, everybody's just kind of playing whack-a-mole with the like lockdown, like it's, it's down, it's up, it's down and like, I, I think it does make sense for it to be a, a sort of like sliding scale. Like, and if, if our numbers are this low, we can be open. If they go up again, I guess we're going to have to, to close down. Um, but it certainly makes it tough to, to navigate. Um, Maria at the cafe that you're working at now, um, is it like 50% capacity or anything like that? And are you having to, it's busy every day over there. It's crazy. It's like uh, they've been open for like a year now and uh, they have like specialty coffee, like um, single origin, origin coffee. And like on the island, we have like three or four places that has like super good coffee and also good food to go with it. Uh -huh. So 
um, and they have a very good marketing system. So right now it's like crazy busy every day. Only this week is a little less busy. I guess people are getting a little bit afraid because we had like a few days that we have like 30 infections or so um, we definitely felt like it was getting quiet for us then. And people still see it as busy as an outsider when you come to, our, to the restaurant. But um, for us, it was very quiet all of a sudden. That's interesting. Um, that like, yeah, you can kind of see even even without the official rules changing, it sounds like people's behavior is is being modified based on on the different case counts and everything. And what are your mask um, regulations in in Curacao like? Mask regulation, actually. You don't have one. Like at work, you have to wear the mask because um, the boss wants us to wear it. But not that the government is saying like you have to wear the mask if you're inside. But I noticed um, like going to the bank or um, yeah, the bank mostly is where they ask for oh, and also the hospital where they ask that you have to have to wear a mask so you can come. Okay, that's really interesting. Oh, and then the other thing that I always want to ask about is um, your testing availability. Um, like what kind of testing and contact tracing programs are in place there? Uh, like if you wanted to go get a test, can you do it easily and cheaply or, or is it not that easy? I have no idea. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, basically the only thing the island has in place, I, I didn't hear of any anybody just going to get the test just to get a test, but uh, they do have a system in place that if you feel certain symptoms, uh, they do have like a number you can call, but they say that you have to stay home. They'll probably advise you to stay home and that they're going to send someone to test you to be sure. Um, because I think they, they don't want, if you're feeling those symptoms, they don't want you to go out and probably infect other people. So they do advise you to stay home and their team would come and test you. Got it. Well, actually, at um, at work also, everybody that comes in has to be registered. So, if oh, some as part of contact tracing. Yeah. Okay. That and I, it was like that at a couple places that I went to earlier, but that seems to be a program that's really fallen off here. Like, I feel like I haven't had to like leave contact information at basically anywhere that I've gone lately. Yeah. Yeah. But but we do have um, mask rules inside. Masks are required. Um, I don't think outside they are, um, but a lot of people do wear them outside. Like when I'm walking my dog around, I'll have one with me. And like when I'm in my own neighborhood and if I'm not like around people, I won't put it on. But once I start like being in an area where I'm even just like passing someone on the street, it just feels like the courteous and, and right thing to do just to like put it on and um, get used to it that way. Testing is really widely available here, which I always am. I've been surprised by it because um, a, our healthcare system is like so weird and like nothing is free or cheap <laughs> and, and Louisiana like is behind on everything. Like I said, we have one of the worst unemployment um things on offer we have some of the worst school systems like it just seems like there's never money for anything here but we had a really really widespread and robust free testing program um 
which was pretty cool. And I went, especially when I first started Uber driving, I was like, oh, I should do this often. Um, the one trip that I've taken, I did a road trip um, up to Wisconsin, um, which is near where some of my family lives. And I was going to be seeing my grandma and I made sure that I like got tested before going up there. But I haven't actually done it in a bit. It's pretty uncomfortable if you haven't done one. They like stick the thing like way up in your nose. And <laughs> but like, I, I, I'm not saying that as a it, it's completely tolerable, like people shouldn't be afraid of getting tested for that reason. But um, I well, luckily, guess. I didn't. I never did that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got three, and then I even like took. A, I, I got tested three different times, um, mm. and because one of my neighbors is is high risk too, um, she's been in and out of the hospital a lot, so um, she mm. takes it seriously, and I, I see her a lot, so I feel like I should as well. Um, but yeah, I took her through a drive-through testing facility too once, um, which is like administered by the National Guard, which is kind of interesting because it's just like the people, the soldiers out there in their military uniforms, and you like drive through, and they like come up to the window and give you the little thing, and then she actually did it herself, and the the woman is like, okay, you stick it in your nose and swirl it around, and I'll count to ten and each side, and so I, I feel like I've gotten to see like all sorts all, all sorts of different <laughs> testing options here, but. Yeah. And then, oh yeah, the final question that I like to ask is just what is, and I, and my, I, I realize that like the United States is like not the point of focus for everyone in the world, but um, just feeling like it hasn't been handled very well here, feeling like they're, um, as you, it sounds like you might've run into in the Netherlands a little bit, Kurt, like a lot of people who don't take it seriously. Um, like what is the the impression that people have of the United States and and how um, we've handled it there? If people are talking about it at all, well, they actually didn't open the borders very quickly to the United States. That's the only thing that I noticed here on the island. Okay, yeah, and yeah, that like you're saying that does suggest that they, you don't want our germs. <laughs> I guess. I'm, I'm not sure if it was not going very well in the States because I wasn't paying a lot of attention on the whole mm -hmm. um, news of the pandemic. Only things that I hear, like if they if they came through um, to me, I, I would pay attention to it, but not I wasn't looking for any information. Yeah. This, this is the only thing I know. I heard that they are closed the borders for United States and only open for... Uh, Holland, but they were also close for Aruba, so that that one Aruba was also a very high risk island at the moment. Oh, okay. I think it was still close for Aruba, right? Yeah. Yeah. And is Aruba considered higher risk? Like, have they just handled it less seriously, or um, yeah, are they are they a bigger island with more people, or? <laughs> No, they're, they're a smaller island, and they kept their borders open to the U.S. as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Common denominator. <laughs> Got it. Did you, but, did you have anything to, to add to the United States question, Kurt, or did uh, you kind of feel yeah, the same so, way so, that it's not, like, super, like, in your face or on your... So, oh, basically, <laughs> what, uh, my opinion on the United States... Or yours and or like your, your the general perception um, that well, you feel in the country. Like, honestly, it's uh, to me, it, it felt like the U.S. just opened Pandora's box uh, from all the protests uh, 
uh, because of the George Floyd incident. So it, it was like a series of like chain of events going on. You have protests, Corona hits, uh, you guys have a president that saw it coming. I, I remember when he said that he didn't want to panic the American people mm-hmm. by letting them know that a uh, virus, a life-threatening virus is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that with uh, this whole fiasco of the election, uh, I think the U.S. is, it's, you know, a- any country would, would uh, have its own headache if they're going through what the U.S. is going through right now. Mm-hmm. So it, it was definitely handled uh, in my opinion, quite poorly mm-hmm. by the U.S. government. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, talking to y'all, I feel like you have such an opposite situation. Like I said, like such a low case count, such a, a super low death count, um, an economy that stands to be really harmed by a lockdown mm-hmm. because you rely so much on on tourism and everything. And yet, like people who by your accounts have seemed very compliant and like, okay, this is what needs to be done. Like it's, it's just so crazy for me to like live in a country where now upwards of 220,000 people have died and people like still just don't really want to take it as seriously as it, as it needs to be. And um, it's just been kind of a hard thing to, to reconcile, I guess. Yeah. Well, (laughs) it just comes down to how, how the leadership handles it as well, because I remember, I don't know if, if, if it's a, a U.S. thing to go up based on statistics, but, you know, when 200 plus thousand people uh, die because of this virus and the reaction's like, well, you know, more people would have died if you were president or it is what it is, you know, you know it, it, it gives you a sense of like um, a lack of, compassion, a lack of uh, uh, empathy for, for, you know, people that are affected by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Most definitely. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely part of it. And I mean, just the country, it's really fragmented in, in a lot of ways. Like, of course, there's the like Republican versus Democrat, mm-hmm. you know, the th- ideological differences. But I mean, people in America really are just very, New York is so different from Florida, so different from Arizona, sure. so different from Montana. Like there's just like so many different kinds of people and different priorities mm-hmm. and different, um, you know, things that matter and issues that are pressing. So I I always try to be like understanding when people have ideas that are different from mine, but there's been, I, I think, a lot of selfishness in this in this situation for yeah. sure. Sure. Um, do either of you have any final thoughts or questions for each other or for me or anything? We didn't really talk about um, how they handled, uh, well, what I noticed and over here, how they handled for the people of less fortunate um, to help them and stuff like that. There were a lot of charities going on. Oh. And a lot of people like um, donating stuff that I saw then and um, also big companies do- donating stuff to people that lost jobs and didn't get any help. Uh, I saw on Facebook on groups that people were asking like, who has enough food for somebody else to eat today? And wow. also people were asking for... Um, 
like I don't know if you know we have a system here with uh, the electricity that you can just buy the credit and you put it in the system so you can have electricity. We have a system like that over here, oh, wow. like a prepaid system. Okay. So some people were asking if uh, they have like 10 guilders, 25 guilders for electricity so they can put in their in their houses, mm. especially people with kids and stuff like that. And there were a lot of um, benefits going on for um, groceries for people with uh, less money. I saw in, in Scarlo also they, they put up um, a table um, once a week with food and boxes for all the people in in the neighborhood. One thing I noticed, there were a lot of um, homeless people. They were like um, knocking on doors and asking for food because normally they ask probably the tourists in the city mm-hmm. and there's nobody in the city and especially during the lockdown, there's nobody walking around. So mm-hmm. they cannot back with anybody. So I had like one or two guys they were like screaming at my balcony because I live on the second floor mm. always asking for a piece of bread so eventually when I was doing my trip to the grocery stores once or twice a week I always like buy an extra loaf and when I see them I just give give them a bread and some jam or something oh, that's so sweet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no that and it's also yeah very nice and encouraging to to hear of, of people looking out for each other that way. And, and there were, there was certainly um, programs with like food donation and, and delivery and stuff. Uh, Kurt, I actually yeah. meant to ask you with your hotel that when it was closed and emptied, I know here uh, the hotels that were empty were used to house certain, um, th- there's a, a bridge that a lot of, there's like a full camp that homeless people live in here. And they um, realized that that could be like a really hot Corona um, spot. So they moved those people to um, hotel rooms for at least a, a period of time, which wasn't at first. I was like, "They're so nice. People must love that they get to live in the hotel room." But there, there's a couple like maybe similar to what you experienced, Maria, like homeless re- regulars. I would call them. They like come by my street often, and I'll, I'll chat with them. And especially one guy had no interest. He's like, he's like, It'll, it's basically like going to prison. Like, there's a cop that stays <laughs> at the end of the hall. Like, like I like don't get to go where I want. Like. He had no interest in, in going to the hotel because, like, it might be on the streets, but he's used to his freedom and he did not want to go to that hotel. So um, were there any programs that were offered like that that you know of? Um, basically, with, with our hotel, it, it was, uh, we did, uh, at the earlier stage, we uh, made rooms available for um, people that had to self-quarantine. Um, but after they self-quarantined and everything, they, they went and found, uh, their own staying spot, but we did house, um, doctors that came over from the States to, uh, train, uh, our own medical staff. And, you know, they are still staying with us because their training is still going on. Okay. So we do, um, house them. Got it. Very cool. Um, oh, there was like one other thing. Oh, oh, when you did your quarantine, um, you just did that at your own house or was there like somewhere that you're supposed to go for that? Yeah. Um, I, I did that at my own house. Um, we had to, uh, fill out a form with, uh, all of our information and a representative from the government would call us on, on different day 
asking us if we feel symptoms, if, you know, just to check up on us on how we feel. And they, they would uh, call you for the whole duration of your quarantine. They would call you on the last day of your quarantine just to be sure. And then if, if there's no issue, they'll tell you, okay, um, after this day, your quarantine's over, you know, you can go out and, you know, do your thing. Got it. We're part of the calls also to like make sure you were in the right place or was it was it really just to make sure that you were feeling okay and all that oh they they definitely did not uh ask me where i'm at um and i noticed after when when i got back to work that they were using some hotel employees as well to call all the tourists that came over because of course there's a lot of tourists coming over and uh, they can't just call all of them every single day. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely there were, one, one of my uh, colleagues told me that there were several tourists that were very suspicious as to, like, how did you get my number? Why are you calling me? And, <laughs> and, and he was like, uh, ma'am, you, you provided a form at the, at the airport. <laughs> um, that is why you gave us your number. <laughs> so that's why we're calling. Wait, so you f- you feel that there there is a, once again a pretty uh, like a sort of big tourist presence there again? Like uh, de- definitely from um, not huge, but uh, for example, uh, in the Netherlands when they were told that they were allowed to travel again and go to Curacao, um, there was a big difference between my flight from Curacao to the Netherlands, Mm -hmm. which was pretty much empty, uh, compared to when I was flying back and they said, okay, the borders are open and the flight was packed. Okay. So I think most of them are like, okay, you know, we can go to Curacao, let's just go to Curacao because you can can tell that they're they're tired of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're they want to go see you know somewhere mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. um and, and then but technically they're supposed to be quarantined for 14 days before doing anything yeah not anymore oh not anymore no when you come from holland um you don't have to quarantine 14 days uh, do you have to quarantine for any amount of time nope not i, I don't know how long it's been like that but I had my cousin and a friend coming and they didn't have to quarantine. They did have to get tested all three days before the flight. Okay. But um, I think 72 hours, um, but not quarantining here or even when they get back in Holland. Got it. But they probably do call them though, right? Did they, did they call them? No. No, not a single call. Okay. Because <laughs> <Not a single. laughs> wow. that was always that's always what made me f- like yeah places that you had to travel. But then like if you have to quarantine for fourteen days when you get there, it's like that's as long as I was planning on being gone. <laughs> yeah. like, like like I can't like imagine build two imagine weeks coming into for three trip. days and then you have to quarantine fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. That I don't have that kind of time or money, man. Like I, I can't be like yeah. just building t- two weeks of quarantine into it trip yes, because, uh, exactly on, on one of them came for like 10 no seven days the other one came for 18 days the, these are your all. your family members who came yeah yeah Got and, it. uh, it's definitely on their uh, i remember on the form it says that if they do have to quarantine it's on their own cost as well yeah, yeah. also 
But yeah. I think eventually they change it for only the high risk um, places. So um, it was like, I mean, these people that I know came last month. Yeah, last month, September. And one of them left October, like a few days ago. And the thing that I, I, I did read on the some tourism board um, page, and they said only the high risk places as to quarantine. I don't know which one is the high risk place right now, if the borders are closed for the high risk places, but mm -hmm. um, they were seeing that on the on the website. Got it. But by the time I, I, I came back, it was probably Spain was a high risk place because uh, I, I told them I, I was in Belgium, I, I was in France, I was in Netherlands. And as soon as I said Spain, the woman looked at me and was like, how, how long have you been in Spain? <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> It seems so funny because like here you just explained to me that um, that the Netherlands had like way uh, less strict rules and it's my impression yeah. that the Netherlands has had like worst case counts and even though Spain has like better rules like that's the yeah it's just really interesting it's weird, right. It's really, yeah. And then do you find that most, I'm, I, I imagine most of the, your tourists in general do come from the Netherlands and is, is that yeah. still the case or, yeah. or, or are you noticing tourists from other places as well? Uh, um, Germany. Germany. Okay. Oh, well, where I work then I, we have like um, mostly Dutch people and, and Germans. Yeah. Got it. That's the only way I noticed tourists is at work. But I, I did notice, uh, because we used to, we used to definitely, there was a, a period in time we, we got a lot of Brazilians coming over, but mm -hmm. you, you do notice now there's not, there's almost no sign of Brazilians on, on the island. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely closed off to them. Yeah. yeah. I, and I wonder if Brazil's borders are also, because I know it's been pretty bad there too have to find someone in Brazil to tell me. <laughs> I don't think I know anybody in Brazil for the podcast, but <laughs> something to work towards. Um, all right, guys. Well, that's all for me. Um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed catching up with you in general, but also um, that you took the time to give me so much good information about how things are going in Curacao. Um, I would love to return one day. Now, now that I know I can get there from New York, uh, you're both welcome in New Orleans anytime. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having us. And I, I'm definitely for because I heard New Orleans is known for their food. So yeah, yeah. And yes. in fact, <laughs> my parents came yes. recently. Um, and they were they were driving down, so they were like, "We're gonna stay for a week." And I was like, "I mean, stay as long as you want, but I don't know what we're gonna do for a week because like the bars at the at that time the bars were totally closed, and like I said, no music. And um, but we we stayed pretty entertained for the whole week. They're between finding places to eat, and you can still get a good meal for sure. And there's a lot of outdoor activities." Um, that, that kept us busy. So um, even even in quarantine, it's fun and you can do it safely. So <laughs> um, yeah, whenever, whenever you want to come. <laughs> 
All right. Well, thanks again for joining us. I forgot to ask my guests if they had anything they wanted to plug at the end of the episode. Um, so I will do it for them. You can find some of Maria's DJing under her uh, DJ name, Maria De La O, which you can find that at SoundCloud with dashes between Maria-De-La-O. And it's just the letter O. And then she's on Instagram with the same thing, only with dots, maria.day.la.o. And you can find some of Kurt's photography at silverflame underscore photography on Instagram. He just told me that he is getting ready to do a charity sale to benefit children in war-struck countries such as Syria and Yemen. So please check them out, um, give them some love. And as I'm did remember to mention at the beginning of the show this time so i am learning uh just another reminder that we too are on the social medias at corona connects pod or on twitter at rona connects pod so thanks for joining and be back next week with an interview that i haven't recorded yet so it's gonna be a mystery to everyone bye